Hey guys, welcome to episode one of the Incomplete Guide to Film podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the necessity of Hollywood. We're going to be reviewing a few films and we'll be talking about how we can bring the independent film community into a new era for the end of the 2010s. So here we go. So, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. And our first question for today is, is Hollywood necessary? It's a question that I've been asking myself and other people for a while now. You know, Hollywood's been around almost 100 years. And they've gotten into a very... Uh, deliberate pattern. So the the only reason that Hollywood, in my opinion, has the head of steam that it does is because it, it's a collection. You know, everyone in Hollywood is there to do movies. You know, sometimes it can be difficult to find people who will be committed to the filmmaking just in your local community, especially live if you live in a small town or what have you. I've talked to a couple people who work in Hollywood, and the first piece of advice that everyone always gives me is if you want to do films, if you want to do you know TV or whatever, if you want to do something in the industry, move out to LA because that's how you're going to get work. But does it have to be that way? No, it doesn't. We can start a Hollywood anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. You know, there, there are several studios in other countries, you know, several establishments in other countries. Like, you know, Bollywood is probably the most famous one. Um, then there's, you know, th- there's even one that uh, has started in the last few years that people are calling Mollywood which is uh, Mormons making films by and for Mormons. So, you know, that, that, that's a niche group. So, in my mind, the question's answered no. You, you don't need Hollywood. You know, if you want to be a part of the Hollywood, you know, industry, if you want to work in Hollywood then yeah you need to go to uh, you need to go to LA but if you want to make films if you want to be a filmmaker it's not necessary it's an easy way to get work but it doesn't always have to be easy our craft it takes a lot of people all being dedicated to a singular idea you know, an artist like uh, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, they don't really need anyone else. They need someone who you know makes the canvases. They need people who make the paint. You know, they need people to make the tools, but they don't need 
know, a lot of people to be there for, you know, whatever art they're doing. With film, it's very different. You know, film is a group project. Wherever a group dedicated to a singular idea congregates, a film can be made. Whether that's in Hollywood or it's in, you know, the mountains somewhere in, you know, India, I guess, you know, Bollywood, in London or Sydney or wherever else. So my advice to anyone who is thinking about getting into filmmaking, who wants to be in filmmaking, and... They are hearing from all kinds of people, hey, you know, if you want to get in filmmaking, you you, got to go to L.A. May I humbly advise that that's not necessary. If you want to go to L.A., if that's something really important to you, go to L.A. Because if enough of us outside of Hollywood get together, we can make a Hollywood anywhere. And that's actually my goal. I, I live in St. Louis. In five years or so, I want to make St. Louis the the place to go for independent filmmaking. And a very specific kind of independent filmmaking. There's Sundance and everything else, and that's where you go to make a certain kind of independent film. For me personally, I think that story-driven films can be made outside of the, the film industry and even the, the current independent film community. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to give filmmakers a place that they can create the films that they want to, you know, where they don't have a lot of studio involvement. They don't have to answer as much to producers as a Hollywood director would. They can have more freedom than is in the Hollywood uh, industry without having to cater to the tastes of places like Sundance and Cannes. But the independent film industry we'll be talking about in the next segment. But first, um, we're going to move into a segment called Netflix Reviews. I found that a lot of people, you know, don't review movies that are on Netflix. You know, even though it's, it's a huge streaming platform that a lot of people have, a lot of people don't, you know, rev- review stuff like that. People will review TV series that come out. I've seen reviews for, you know, Making a Murderer is a new documentary series that Netflix put out. And, you know, I've seen a couple of reviews on that. I've seen reviews on the Marvel TV shows that they put on Netflix. But people don't review the movies that maybe some of us weren't old enough to see when they originally came out or some of us weren't even born. So I'm going to be reviewing in the Netflix reviews segment films that haven't come out in the last five years or if they have they're very small you know ones that uh, people my age weren't 
old enough to see when they originally came out. And maybe their first exposure is on Netflix, along with maybe some TV shows and things like that. Because I've spent, I'm sure, hours looking through Netflix and going, that looks good, but I really don't want to just waste my time on a movie that I'm just going to turn off in half an hour. Yeah, so I've got a whole bunch of stuff on my list that is just sitting there waiting to be watched that I haven't watched because I don't know if it's worth it or not. So without further delay, here we go. guys so for our first netflix review i'm going to be reviewing the shining which obviously is a very famous film uh that stanley kubrick directed which i'm sure anyone who's really into film knows about stanley kubrick and knows about the shining because um i knew everything that happened in the shining basically before i watched it But to be honest, you know, it, it's probably the best film by Sk- Stanley Kubrick that I've seen. I haven't seen every single one. You know, I've seen A Clockwork Orange and Artificial Intelligence, you know, AI. One thing I have to say about Stanley Kubrick is his cinematography. You know, and he has a cinematographer, but being the director, he tells the cinematographer what to get. His cinematography is beautiful. One thing that I've heard that people say about Stanley Kubrick is, you know, every single frame is a painting. You know, he is a master of visual storytelling. Some of the stories that he tells I don't like, though. I mean, I don't think you're supposed to like A Clockwork Orange. I really don't think so. I don't think you're supposed to like Alex. I don't think you're supposed to like anything about that movie, really. It's a well-told story with well-written characters. But I don't think it's a movie that you're supposed to like. But in that movie especially, they had some very interesting... Um, imagery. And it's the same with The Shining. Jack Nicholson's performance was just fantastic. But I, I haven't seen Jack Nicholson have an off day. I haven't seen his, his, I haven't seen his entire filmography, but I haven't seen him have an off day. Ever. The guy's always on point. One of the things that I wasn't really a fan of in this film, though, besides the pace, the pace is very slow. And I can understand a slow burn. You know, and when there was tension, it was executed perfectly. But there were a lot of setup scenes that seemed to go on for a long time. And the 
the concept of The Shining. You know, if if you've seen the film, you know what I mean. But The Shining is um, something that basically amounts to ESP. You know, extrasensory perception. Where the kid has what's called The Shining. And he can sense ghosts or something. It's not really fully explained. I'm sure it is in the book, but it's not in the film. So, the the scene where they're explaining that is uh, the kid talking to one of the caretakers before, you know, one of the, the staff, like the head, you know, almost like a concierge or something, but not. And he's talking to him and he's talking about, oh yeah, I can see in you that you have the shining, which is what my grandma called it. And, you know, it, I thought it was a, a good scene, but it lasted like maybe five minutes too long. <laughs> It, it was a really long scene. It made sense in the story. It made the placement made sense, and the reason that it was long made sense, but it just the scene seemed to go on forever. Um, another con that I found is the lady who plays the wife. I can't remember her name now. I should have it up on IMDb, but I don't. She, her acting can be abrasive. You know, I I think that she did a serviceable job. She wasn't bad. But I have the same complaint with her character that I have with Veronica Cartwright's character in uh, Alien. Which is that she just loses it. She's really whiny and annoying. <laughs> so, uh, my score for The Shining. And these are the actual scores that I gave it on Netflix. So, we're going to go with their grading system. I gave The Shining four stars. I really liked it. I didn't love it, but I really liked it. The cinematography is beautiful. The acting is really good. The the uh, the boy in the film is a really good actor. You know, there's a lot of times when you can see a child actor and they're acting. Their child actors are famously not great, but we give them a pass because they're kids. You know, you can't fault a kid on not being great at something because they're a kid. They're learning. But this kid was good. He was good. I enjoyed him. Uh, according to what I could look up on him, he's a math teacher now. And when he was filming uh, The Shining, he had no clue what Red Rum meant. But it would have been interesting to see him in more stuff. And moving right along... The next film we're going to be reviewing is Hamlet, the 2000 
uh, version of Hamlet. It's a retelling, which is always dicey. But it's a retelling in the way that they keep all the dialogue. But they try to update the setting. Uh, St. Louis has a very, uh, very good Shakespeare in the Park event that happens at the beginning of summer every year. So I've seen Richard III and I actually did see Hamlet. Um, I think they did it three or four years ago now. But with those, with the tragedies, they don't mess with them. They play them almost exactly as they would be in uh, the Victorian era when they were written, which works well. That's the way they're meant to be done. When, you know, when they do comedies at the Shakespeare in the Park in St. Louis, they always do something weird. So I saw uh, Midsummer's Night's Dream set in the 30s. So we have a guy speaking uh, old English, you know, Victorian era English and playing a saxophone and just weird stuff. You know, they had um, The Taming of the Shrew set in the 50s. An interesting part of that is they actually had, you know, like a car that they would pull up and that's how they bring people into the scene. So that was that was cool. You know, because it's in the park. It's just outside. But this is a free event, and I don't want to waste three hours watching these guys do, you know, Shakespeare in the 50s. Because the the retelling, the reimagining, setting in a different era or something doesn't seem to work well. Because you can't change the dialogue to match. Because if you change the dialogue, you screw up the iambic pentameter, and that's the whole point. You know, that's what makes the play so eloquent. And also, if you rewrote Shakespeare, I think people would riot. It, I, I just can't get past the retelling thing. You know, where they'll be... Well, okay... Here, here's a good example. Hamlet's monologue, one of the most famous Shakespeare passages, to be or not to be, is said to himself while he's perusing a video store. Because this movie came out in 2000, so video. Like a, like a video rental, you know, blockbuster kind of place in New York. He's perusing the videos and going... Yeah, to be or not to be, that is the question. It is, it's just so weird to me. So, for Hamlet, the 2000 version, I gave it two stars. I didn't like it. Alright, and for our last film, I'm going to be reviewing Spy Hard. Uh, Spy Hard came out in 1996 and stars Leslie Nielsen. 
So anybody who's seen Airplane knows that this is going to be a fun ride. But the interesting thing about it is Andy Griffith is the villain. I don't think I've ever seen Andy Griffith play a villain. And it was very interesting to see. They had a lot of referential humor to 90s films. So they had dinosaurs for Jurassic Park and they referenced Home Alone. And it was it was a fun ride. It was a lot of fun. Um, honestly, there's not much else to say about it. It's, it's a lot of fun. If you want to watch a movie and just kind of turn your mind off and enjoy it, you know, you don't have to think too hard for this one. It's, it's a lot of low hanging fruit jokes, but it's not all fart and penis jokes like the modern, uh, comedy movies seem to be now. So, for me, I gave Spy Hard five stars. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And if, well, I would say watch Airplane. And if you like Airplane, you'll like Spy Hard. And for our last segment, uh, we're going to be talking about how to bring the independent film community into a new era, you know, change things a bit, you know, going into the back end of the 2010s so that, you know, maybe 2020 we'll see an entirely different independent film community. Independent films are for the most part, in my opinion, art pieces. There's a very specific kind of film for the independent crowd. Um, Sundance, which is the highest profile independent film uh, competition in at least, you know, America, because, you know, there's can also, but that, you know, doesn't happen here. Um, looking at the full list of winners we've got movies like me and earl and the dying girl which is a a drama and just sounds depressing and we've got uh cartel land which is about you know drugs and it's it's a documentary right so you know there there are two styles really from the winners of last year i'm sure there were more submitted you know i don't know every film that went to sundance i don't go so for me the independent film community doesn't have much me i like story driven films i like well, honestly, you know what I like? I like stuff like Marvel. <laughs> the stuff that they've been putting out in the last, you know, what is it? 2008, MCU started. So, you know, the, the stuff they've been putting out in the last eight years. Yeah, eight. Eight years now. Twelve 
hits. It's because they're good stories. Iron Man's a good example, if you're going to pull from Marvel. You know, if you watch the Iron Man films back to back to back, the films are about a superhero. The films are about a guy who almost died, so he turned around and decided, hey, I'm going to make sure that the stuff that I've put out there doesn't hurt anybody else. I'm going to make sure that it doesn't get into the bad guy's hands anymore because I haven't made sure of that. If you watch the films together, it becomes the story of a man who was very self-centered and very prideful, becoming a humble and, well, not exactly humble, but he is humbled. He is humbled, not necessarily humble, but he becomes a better man. I enjoy stories that are classic. I enjoy classic, relatable stories with well-written characters. That's how you can sum up the films that I love. There isn't a lot of that in independent film. Independent film, they do they try to do stories that have never been done before, which which is a good sentiment. You don't want to copy off of everyone else, but in that they they make stories that you know don't have the classic Hollywood ending. The reason that's the Hollywood ending is because you know. You're going there to be entertained. You know, a, f- a film a, f- a film that makes you think is absolutely fine. You know, there are a few films that make you think. But I like films with a good ending. You know, not everything has to go right. You know, people can die. People can even die at the end of the movie where the main character is dies but it can still be a good ending you know you know a lot of people were upset when han solo died in the force week in the force awakens along with me <laughs> when i saw it and uh kylo ren stabbed him I literally shouted no. Well, not shouted, but I I said no. Because they just killed off my favorite character. But Harrison Ford has wanted that since Empire. He's wanted Han Solo to die since, you know, the mid-80s. So, you know, he finally got what he wanted, and it worked well for the character. You know, he was trying to bring his son back to redeem his son and you know he died doing it I think that it was good for his character and it's still a good film it's a good story I liked the movie but they killed off my favorite character you know you don't always have people don't always have to end up fine 
like the classic Hollywood ending. The guy doesn't always have to get the girl. So the question is, how do we bring the independent community into the back end of the 2010s? What we need to do is we need to change what independent movies are known for. Because honestly, in my mind, independent films are pretty pretentious. I'm not saying that those movies don't need to be made. If people want to make those movies, make those movies. That's what Sundance is for. But just like they did with the Oscars, when the Oscars, you know, don't really acknowledge sci-fi and everything else, you know, those kinds of films, unless they're really stinking good. Like, you know, sci-fi films have to be better than normal films to get anything but a technical Oscar. Or they have to be the art house version, you know, with with the Oscars, with them ignoring sci-fi, horror, and several other genres. Uh, People started doing the Saturn Awards, which are specifically for those films. You know, just like Sundance doesn't acknowledge any of those films being made in the independent community, because, you know, I don't even know if any are being made for anyone other than sci-fi original movies. <laughs> they need to... We need to... change it. How do we change it? Is the question. Well, we get out and we start making films. We start making good films in the genre that we want. You know, it doesn't have to be sci-fi, Marvel-esque, you know, kind of stuff like I like. It could be whatever you like. That's the thing about film. It's, it's all about, you know, personal expression. It's about telling the story that you want to tell. Write a story. You know, and if you don't write stories, if you don't, you know, if you're not a director, because me personally, I want to be a director. I want to make films. But not everybody makes films. There are people behind the camera. There are people who do the uh, makeup. Which, you know, if you're, if you're going to have sci-fi, you know, kind of stuff, special effects makeup is very important. There are people who do digital effects. There are people who, you know, act. If you want to be involved in film, There's a job for you, you know. If you don't write stories, connect with someone who does. You know, I I write stories. I'm going to be filming a lot of short stuff to, you know, get my, um, get my chops, you know, start learning. Because I've, I've done a lot of videography, but I haven't done a lot of films. I haven't done a lot of filming. So this year, I'm going to I'm gonna be releasing something every month. You know, unfortunately not for January, because scheduling conflicts meant that the thing that we were going to do for January isn't going to be released until February probably. But that just means we're going to be doing two in February. And we'll do February, and we'll do the January one and the February one. So, you know, anybody who wants to see any of that, I have a YouTube channel 
So, you know, feel free to subscribe, right? But especially if you guys live in the St. Louis area, you know, and, and you act or you, you know, you create things. You create things digitally or things physically. You make props. You make, you know, whatever your niche is. If you live in, in St. Louis, let me know. Because, you know, I need people. And I'm sure that if you don't, you can find people around you. You know, look for blogs, look for... You know, if you're in high school, look at your school. Find people who are interested in what you're interested in and want to make the kind of movies that you want to make and hit your wagon to them. The, the great thing about the digital age is everything can be... Everything can be done at a grassroots level. Everything from film to politics, to we have people crowdsourcing video games and films and art projects and, you know, we've, we've got people on Fiverr that'll help you if you can't find anybody around. You know, if you want to tell a story but you don't know how, there are online courses. You know, and if you really want to learn filmmaking... And you really want to, you know, learn it from people who do it. You know, there's film school. There's Full Sail University. You know, I have a friend that went there and he came out looking pretty slick. So if if you want to do film, there's ways to do film where you don't have to be involved in anything that's established. You can establish your own. So for our last little bit before I say goodbye, um, we're going to be talking about the featured video for this week. The featured video that I have for this week is a short little tutorial from Film Riot. They're a uh, production company that works specifically through YouTube. Uh, It's the show that they do. So... Go and look on their channel, and I'll be leaving a link in the description to this specific video. And I will talk to you guys next week. So, have a great week, and good filming. (music) 